Hey, welcome to the club. Before we begin, I'd like to introduce our podcast and explain what we do. We will go over mysterious and unsolved cases, a bit of the paranormal, and of course, conspiracies. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and any other podcast provider. Also, a new episode of The Cloak comes out every Monday. So don't forget to join the conversation on Facebook forward slash The Cloaked Podcast and catch us on Twitter at The Cloaked underscore. And don't forget to like and rate us. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends. And now on with the show. Hello guys, welcome to another episode of The Cloaked. I am your host, White Owl. And today we have a very interesting story, uh, that of Lydia Thoreau, uh, who was uh, found murdered back in Paris in 1937 on May 16th. Now, this story is uh, very interesting, and I'm going to break it down here for you, uh, for you guys to kind of understand why it became such a big mystery now uh, Lydia here was found dead in Paris Metroport Doré uh, back in uh, May 16 1937 as I said uh, in the evening she boarded the uh, Metro at 6 27 p.m. now uh, it looked like second class compartment was full and so her being able to afford a first class ticket she get on the first class compartment now no other people were on uh, this um, compartment it was just her by herself now the metro went on from that station to the next station and when people boarded the metro uh, they noticed uh, Miss Thoreau here it looked like she was slumped on her seat with a dagger in her neck that's right a dagger in her neck now in this review here's some of the facts there was no connecting doors from one compartment to the next second the first uh, it was considered the first uh, murder in the metro now this uh, train this metro uh, from one stop to the next was about a minute now this happened so this tells you that the murder happened within a minute now, from one stop to the next station, uh, you know, there was nobody on board with her. Uh, and then, um, which is the fifth important part is that, again, there's no connecting doors. There's no, it, it makes it impossible to board the next compartment without any, without it, without it being stopped. Now, which that makes it very difficult. Now we get into the mystery questions here. Who murdered Miss Lydia? How did they board? How did they escape? And why? Why did they kill her? What was the reason for all that? Like what what was the whole reasoning for all of that? Now the investigation that proceeded at that at that time uh, took several weeks to months. Now they they interviewed over a thousand people. Um, the people who were at the first station, second station, friends and family. And the one thing here to note is that we're, there were really no eye, eyewitnesses to the murder. There was only the, the people that boarded on the second stop that noticed her with this fucking dagger on her throat. 
And so, you know, these people were the first people to discover her. And so, again, there's none of nobody saw anything. Nobody saw, you know, someone escaping, you know, the, the scene of the crime. And so, again, nobody saw anything. Now we go to the medical examiner. The examiner uh, lo- reviewed the dagger was launched here on her throat. And the dagger had severed her, her juggler. Now, it looked like the was the uh, the uh, the knife had severed her juggler in a clean and precisely manner, which the examiner then says uh, that this appeared to be uh, done by someone who was trained, uh, someone professional, uh, because uh, to know where to cut on someone's throat uh, seems to be very knowledgeable of where to stab someone you know you don't really just go ahead and just stab anybody so which is makes things kind of you know difficult but you go to the scene of the crime and again this is a, a moving train you know this is the metro and it's moving you know how can someone possibly escape now you're trying to look for um you know, windows, doors, can this person hide somewhere inside the compartment, um, you know, under the seats, maybe they, this person was under the seats and nobody saw anything because nobody could see anybody. Now, these windows to these compartments are very large, and if you're standing outside, you can clearly see who's in there. Um, there's no, there really isn't a, a way to hide if you're standing um, now, if you again, you could hide under the seat um, or, you know, uh, hunched over in some kind of like fetal position or something and not be seen in that manner. But again, there's a ticket person there and making sure that people are boarding on the correct compartment. So it makes things a little bit more difficult. Now, you look at, uh, let's say somebody was hidden under the seats for a quite you know, some time before anybody can board. Now, that would mean that they would have had to have climbed into this compartment way beforehand, you know, and maybe even rode around several times uh, in order to hide. And maybe whoever was ticketing paid, uh, was paid uh, to look the other way. So it's kind of one of those things like, you know, maybe some people were in on it. You know, that the, the, that's something that I, I thought about as I read this case. Um, the other thing is, how did this individual escape? You know, it's hard to escape when some of these windows don't open um, that much. Some of the, from what I was able to look up and, and kind of see is uh, you're able to open these windows, but you're only able to open uh, what it appears to be about six uh, to eight maybe eight inches but it looks like it's more on on the on on the six inches to five inches which it makes it difficult for somebody to escape out of those windows also they're not very wide uh, some of them are uh, some of the sections are wide but um, again it goes to back to the idea of like someone escaping through that small compartment you would have to be a very small uh, slim person to escape out of that again also you're thinking about these trains these metros um, they're very small thinking about also that they're going from one station to the next within a minute so you have a minute to not only stab someone in the throat precisely but also making sure that this victim is not moving 
you would have to be a very fast, quick assassin in order to do this. The amount of skill that it takes for somebody to subdue another person unwillingly, and then at the same time to be able to, you know, no pun intended, but execute the action that you needed to take in order for this person to be assassinated, you would, I mean, you have to be a professional. And this is the same thing that the examiner said, as whoever did this was clearly a professional. And you kind of have to dig into uh, the victim's life, uh, finding out why. Why did this, why did this happen? Why her? Like, what was, what was the reasoning behind this, this crime? Like, why did it happen? And, you know, trying to find out, like, what was the killer's motive behind all this? Um, There had to be some kind of, uh, you know, vendetta against this person. I mean, there had to be some kind of strong feeling uh, to hire someone or to be the person to kill this person in this manner. Now, we looked into the victim and to find out who is this person? Who was this uh, Lydia? Um, I think I'm saying this right. And so, who was, who was this person? Right? What did she do? What was her life like? Who her friends? Um, what did she do at her house? What did she do at her private life? Um, so, you know, we found some of the basic information um, based on her friends and family and people around her, people who worked around her. Now, she worked at a factory. Um, doesn't really specify what kind of factory, but she worked at a factory. Uh, friends knew her as Yol- Yoland or Yolanda. I think it's like a, a like a French or Italian version of Yolanda, but it's Yoland is from what I'm seeing here, and that is spelled Y O L A N D E. You know, figure that out. I'm very bad with names, as you can tell. And then uh, also, let me let me tell you how she spells her name here before we move on ahead. Lydia is the way the way I'm reading it as is L A E T I T I A. Her last name is Thorough. That's the way I'm thinking. I'm pronouncing it correct, and that is spelled T O U R E A U X. Uh, you guys can look up that information. So. Again, she frequently went to these like slum kind of bars, these like really low brow kind of bars. Uh, And she also went to a lot of dance halls. Like again, these on the low end, I mean, considering that she paid first class ticket and that was something back then not a lot of people could afford. um, You got to really think of, uh, of... her financial status, you know, if she looked at, she worked at a factory, how is she making so much money to be able to afford a first class ticket? You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, these places where she went were frequent by prostitutes and pimps. So this is where things get a little, uh, kind of dicey in a way. And even more interesting, adding more mystery as well to her her unfortunate uh, death. Um, Very mysterious. But, um, you know, as they interviewed more people and more people who frequent with her, who knew about her personal life, um, they knew that she had a lot of sexual encounters. Um, A lot of these took place in cheap hotels and sometimes even in public parks. Uh, So right in the open. 
And so you start hearing these stories about her, about her sexual life, and you get the idea that, you know, she had a lot of partners. So based on the information that was being given and what people were kind of, you know, leaning on to the police, like kind of like hinting at, but not exactly saying, but she turns out she was a prostitute. She was, you know, prostituting herself and that was another way she was making money. And so at the time of her death, she was uh, 29. She's uh, described by many people as being uh, very attractive. She was uh, she was blonde as well. And so one of the other things as they continue to investigate in, uh, in her personal life, as they started pulling the information of who were the people she uh, communicated, who she contacted, um, you know some of her more close friends and not a very not very uh it's one of the things that was not very known was that uh she had another job you know other than you know her working at a factory and maybe having a couple of clients here and there as a, as a prostitute but um she worked at as a private eye for an agency you know as a, she she was a bit of a detective you know she did a lot of surveillance uh, for certain targets and so she would report on people that the agency would tell her to go report on them go find out about them go look into these people's lives and insert yourself into these people's lives and find this information out it was one of those things where you know they put her in certain, certain situations now another thing that they later find out is that she was also an informant for the police now, if you're an informant for the police, as we all know, um, I don't know if you guys know like all, all the shows or even if maybe you're from the hood. I don't know. But one of the things is that if you're an informant for the police, you automatically become a target. You develop en enemies, uh, especially if anybody finds out that you're reporting on them uh, to the police, to any authority. You know, if you're doing something bad. You know, and, and uh, you know, you belong to an organization, you belong to a group, you do you're drugs, whatever it may be, and you have somebody that's close to you that you consider a friend and an ally, and you, they know this information about you, then it's one of those things where, hey, this person knows this about me, but could potentially tell the police, and that puts you in a vulnerable position, and it, it becomes it, it becomes personal if, if you find out that they have been informing information to the police, giving information to the police, and that kind of puts you, you know, in a situation where, you know, you have to take care of the situation, right? And so, you know, that's one of the things like, okay, well, we're now, we're moving into a certain direction of what what is happening, right? And so, you know, her being an informant, this she had to develop a lot of relationships with a lot of people. And one of the relationships, the, one of the relationships she developed was with an individual by the name of Gabrielle uh, Jeanette, uh, spelled like uh, spelled J E A N E T. It's a last name. Uh, who was a journalist, but also a weapon smuggler. So you know, one of those things where, hey, this is one of those relationships where it could be kind of dangerous. Uh, so sh this uh, Gabriel uh, belonged to a terrorist group known as, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's called Le Cago, Cago? Um, it's spelled Le, L-E, right? And 
the next word is c-a-g-o-u-l-e Kogel? I don't know. The hooded ones, it's it, basically it's what it, what it is. Um, also, the organization was also known as the Committee of Secret the Action Revolution. So what they did was they carried out plots. You know, they um, did a lot of terrorist acts, right? They put fear in people. They try to push people away it's for for whatever their you know their purpose of this uh, organization was now they believe to have been funded by someone in the financial world uh, who was in the elite um, they off off or killed off their enemies a lot of them were happened to be union leaders and so they would push these people off and so you know this is a no joke organization that were very connected financially they were smuggling weapons which they kept underground and these people definitely believed in their cause and the revolution so to speak against the wealthy and so they definitely had an ideology to kind of go against these people who were uh, as they believed as enemies of the you know the Paris or the French people, you know, uh, people who were making um, a lot of money and those who weren't leaving the poor, you know, out in the cold, so to speak. Now, this group had uh, planted bombs before and one occasion they had a what they called the, an operation called false flag. Now, this was um, ironically, this is in 9-11 back in September 11th of 1937, they had planned a bombing um, to blame the communists, so to speak, for the bombing of a wealthy district. So they planned a bomb uh, to set off in 9-11 back in 1937 in this wealthy district. And they were gonna go and blame the communists for this operation. Now, these people were Again, they, this was no joke. They were dealing with weapons. They were doing bombings. I mean, these people were definitely out to cause mayhem and destruction. Um, now, we start to you know, figure out, okay, she was involved with these people who were very dangerous. And you start to think, okay, what else was she involved? Who else was she involved with? And if she's involved in this organization, or well, maybe they found out that she was a double agent, and she's spilling out information to the police. You know, they're, they're finding out about the organization. Who are the leaders? Who are the targets? You know, what are their plots? And this is something that's very, you know, very important for the police to know. Is like, what is happening? And what is this organization going to plan to do? So and this is like important information that would jeopardize the operations of the, of the organization. So... Um, one of the possible killers uh, that was kind of associated with this organization was uh, an individual by the name of Jean Filio, uh, last name spelled F-I-L-L-I-O-L, -L -L, which may have been false information only because the people that were interrogated um, that were rounded up by the police that were known associates of this organization had claimed that they were beaten uh, for this information to be given. So they said, hey, look, we were being, were being beaten up and harmed and hurt physically to be able to give this information out. This information was actually false information. 
um, according to them. You know, maybe it was true, maybe it wasn't. Who? This is one of those things that, you know, uh, they they weren't able to track the supposed possible killer. I think this person actually ended up fleeing the country and escaping the police before even being interrogated. Um, he had heard that he was being uh, surveillance already, so they already kind of had him uh, uh, pinpointed as the possible assassin. Now, the other individual, of course, Gabriel himself, either A, sent off uh, Jean or Jean uh, to go kill the, the victim, or it was Gabriel himself who plotted to kill um, the, you know, the, the victim here, uh, Lydia. So the, one of the things that was leaked out as far as information is that these, this organization had a plot to kill Mussolini. And so, so possibly, the, here's a theory, possibly the organization found out that she was a double agent and she was murdered. You know, because this information was leaked out. So this is one of the, again, this is one of the plots that they had a uh, plan to kill Mussolini. You know, back in then, Italian president, you know, they they had this idea, hey, we're going to go kill Mussolini. And so that information got leaked out. They found out who leaked it. They found out she was the one. She's the double agent. So this is one of the possibilities is because since this organization was also part Italian, uh, they found that they may be an Italian organization such as this was able to come up with a plan and have her assassinated uh, for this information. And one of the things that I guess was well known to some of the organi- from some of the organizations is that the uh, Italian orga- organized crime would use a dagger to the neck to the neck as a message of sorts. You know, hey, you know, you, you don't go speak about, you know, what we're doing, our dealings, so to speak. And so that was one of the things that organized crime would do is uh, these uh, people who are assassins would often uh, kill their victims by using a dagger to the neck. So it was something that was frequently used. But again, these people, you know, bailed out of the country and so they were they were never able to apprehend these two individuals to you know bring in and question you know if they had any connection to this anything anything at all they weren't they just weren't able to catch them so it was closed off as a perfect crime so to speak and no one was ever caught no one was ever brought into questioning about the murder i mean we only have these two individuals but again this is just a theory uh, for her death. And so, you know, it's very interesting. Um, you know, I personally think that whoever did it was a professional because if they went in and out without being seen, they did it within a minute, escaped again, escaped somehow. And the victim, unfortunately, Ms. Lydia here, wasn't able to fight him off. You know, that it was, it appeared to be a quick fight. I mean, I don't think, you know, the, 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 whatever the person was already, more than likely he was already in there and surprised her, quick attack, and then bailed out. And so, you know, you have all these possible scenarios, but without having any kind of 
eyewitnesses or anything like that or you know no cameras you know back then 1937 you know you don't have you don't have those uh, visuals those cameras that we now have um, that some of us take for granted you know when, when something like this happens now nowadays everyone has a camera there's a camera everywhere you know sometimes a, a single car could have you know four cameras you know two ca two cameras at least but you know you know who's coming in and out of a station because there's cameras at every door nowadays and again people you know i i i tend to think that people try to are try to be more vigilant uh, and my belief is people try to be more vigilant and be more aware of some of the things that is happening around them and so uh, you know, it's very tough. I mean, without questioning these two individuals and knowing what, what really happened. Uh, but anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this story. I hope you, uh, again, share and like with your friends. You know, give us a like on iTunes. This is how people find us out. And, you know, definitely give us comments. Shoot us your ideas, your theories on this. Or if you have something else you want us to to talk about some of these stories are what some of the suggestions we're getting on our emails you know people are suggesting which is cool and you know again we'll we'll post this and we'll post some other information along with our twitter and facebook and we'll catch you on the next episode have a good night have a good day and laters